I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Nita Prose is the author of The Mystery Guest, a made novel. Nita is also the author of The Maid, which has sold over 1 million copies worldwide and was published in over 40 countries. A number one New York Times bestseller and a Good Morning America book club pick, The Maid won the Ned Kelly Award for International Crime Fiction and was an Edgar Awards finalist for Best Novel. Welcome, Nita. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books to discuss the mystery guest, A Maid Novel. Thank you so much, Zivi. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, yay. So exciting. So as we're talking, this will come out after the book has come out, but we are a week away from pub day. How are you doing? What should people know about like the week before pub day from even such a huge author as yourself? How does it feel? So the really weird thing that you'll understand, Zibi, is that, you know, there's this period of time when you're done the manuscript and you're waiting for your pub date where nothing's going on and it's just crickets. And you're thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I've wasted my time. This is going to be an absolute disaster. And then 
like a couple of weeks before your pub date, it's like somebody turns on this magical light switch and, you know, your inbox is filling up and there's all these requests and people, you know, want to talk to you. And then you're like, ah, how do I do it all? (laughs) (laughs) And it's so exciting and it's so wonderful. And of course you want that feedback, you know, for me, the second I'm done the book, it's not mine anymore. You know, it belongs to the reader. Is I, I I don't feel it's mine. And so I'm so excited to have that feedback and to hear people's thoughts, good or bad. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, the switch has turned on, let's just say. <laughs> switch is turned on. Here we go. Okay, so Nita, tell us about the mystery guest and when you decided to continue on with some of the elements. How did was this the plan from the beginning with the maid? No, not at all. Okay. She's shaking your head. Okay, tell me the whole the whole story, when this came to be and then how you figured out the plot and you know, just tell me the whole thing. So no way. I never planned this to be a series, not exactly. I knew there was more room in those characters to tell more about their lives, but truly I had so much going on trying to, you know, write the debut that I didn't think too much past that. And once it was published, a lot of my readers were saying exactly the same thing. I want more Molly, more Molly, more Molly, more Molly. And I got that comment so often, <laughs> as did my publishers, that eventually we got those phone calls like, uh, would you um, would you write more Molly, would you? Crazy. And I had to think about it because, you know, with a character like that, that that readers, you know, some readers have come to love, I didn't want to, to do injustice to her. I didn't want to disappoint readers and give them less while trying to give them more. So I said at the time to my agent and my publishers, I'll try. You know, and if I can figure out a storyline that I think, um, you know, honors that character and that readers will enjoy, then I'll do it. But if I can't do it, if I can't figure it out, you will never see that manuscript come out of my desk. Ever, ever, ever. I won't do it. So, you know, that took some puzzling and eventually I got it. And it was really strange how it happened. And I have a habit of doing this. I will have these moments that are like these touchstone moments when everything comes together and I have no control over it whatsoever, which is really, really frustrating. So the moment for this book happened in the UK and I was on tour for The Maid and I went to a museum outside of Brighton in a little town called Lewes and it was a castle museum. And in that museum, I came across the most unusual display and it was in a glass box, two items. One was the mummified body of a rat, and beside that rat, a single silver spoon. And I thought, what the heck is this? And I read the label, and in fact, this was a commemoration of a servant girl who had once worked in the castle and was unceremoniously dismissed from her position after having been accused of stealing silver from her bosses. Well, she denied it. She said she never did such a thing, but she was frog-marched out the door. And then many, many years later, when they were renovating the castle, the builders opened up the walls, and lo and behold, what did they find? The mummified body of a rat, and beside it, a single silver spoon. And that became the commemorative, you know, a display for this poor maid. And for me, that was the spark, Sibby. It was like suddenly my imagination ignited. I started to think again about what it means to be an invisible worker, whether it's a maid or somebody else, and to toil away and to be so disregarded and to be always accused of something or accused in a way of not being good enough. 
And that became the ignition for the mystery guest. Wow. That's amazing. Do you have pictures of that? Did I miss them? Are they on social or something? I I do. I haven't posted them on social yet, but I can happily send you something. Oh, good. Sure. I can't wait to see. That's so yeah. amazing how your brain can just start going, right? It's just a little, yeah, one it's thing. Just it's just like, a little nugget and you have no control of it over it, which is the most frustrating thing. You just have to wait for it to come. It may come. It may never come. And such is the life of a writer. So then once you got the nugget, did you just, did it, what happened with the writing process itself? Did you just like bang it out, blah, 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 it was like flowing? Or did you then stop to say, okay, well, if this is this way, how should I do the rest of this? And then like, what was the process for the rest of it? Well, then it's a lot, for me, it's all about the questions. Once you have that nugget, it's like, okay, now I, this, this delivery is a moment and then a hundred thousand questions around it that I have to resolve through narrative. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's really the fertile ground of knowing and not knowing. I knew a couple of things. I knew that the past and the present in this story, Molly's childhood would be the key to solving the mystery in the present tense. So Molly journeys back in time and she goes back to this luxurious, if somewhat foreboding mansion where a famous writer happens to live and he's reclusive. He's a bit odd. And she, as a 10 year old, has to engage with this man. And she comes to understand the dynamics, not only of her and her grand, but of a very important things that shaped their identity at a very early age while Bran was working in a maid in this house. And that really comes to play in, in our understanding of the present tense mystery when a writer, guess who, drops dead, very dead, on the tea room floor at the Regency Grand. But of course, Molly has a history with this man. I mean, the way you tied it all together, I was like, Genius. This is genius. I couldn't, you know, anyway, it was chef's <laughs> kiss. You. Chef's kiss. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> when did you, how did you start writing to begin with? Like, where did this come from in your own life? And did you always know you wanted to be a writer? I know you've been an amazing editor and all of that, but just like talk about your whole history. Yeah. So as you know, I do have a history as an editor. I'm still an editor to this day because uh, I must be a masochist and I absolutely love that process. To me, it's like yin and yang. Writing and editing are really the same thing. It's engaging with narrative and trying to solve story problems. And I love it. I'm not really good at anything else. I can tell (laughs) stories. I can help other people tell stories. And that's it. That's all I can do. And so everything I've ever done has to do with one of those two things. So that really does feel like yin and yang to me. So in terms of, of writing, I've written for a long time, just in a different way. You know, some of the, my work with my writers, not always, involves ghostwriting or, you know, very close collaboration with celebrities or politicians or, or you know, people who may not have writing experience, but, you know, have a memoir in them. And so my job is to become them in a way, to channel their voice, to really get a thorough understanding of who they are as people and what story they want to tell or have to tell that will move an audience. And through that ventriloquism, (laughs) I think I honed my craft as a writer. And I think also I owe a huge debt of gratitude to all of the other novelists And other writers who I've worked with who've allowed me to help them with their stories, not as any ghost, but 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 as an editor. And that has sharpened my understanding of of the mechanics of story and how readers connect to characters, to worlds and to plots. And I am so grateful to have that best 
you know, master's program in the world, which is really those one-on-one relationships with writers. It's amazing. Wait, so can you share some projects that you're really proud of or any stories about the books you've edited? The books I've edited? Oh my gosh. I'm I'm proud of so many of my writers. It's actually hard to choose. So one who I'm very proud of recently is Liz Nugent, who wrote Strange Sally Diamond and has, you know, a host of other brilliant novels on Raveling Oliver, Lying in Wait. And she is the darkest of dark writers. And she is has this ability to understand women's deepest nightmares, envision them on the page, and somehow, you know, expel them from us as though they were poltergeists. And I think that kind of takes a bravery and an intuition that is unusual. And my work with her has been so wonderful. And she's one of these delicate, delicate writers who, you know, hands in a draft that is near perfection. And so my job is really just, it's this little shift here, shift there, asking the right questions to just complete it, let her open her mind to complete the vision that she intends. And that is hugely gratifying. And then I would say on the nonfiction front, there was an author I worked with quite a few years ago now, who was the lead singer of a band in Canada that was, you know, really important, Great Big C, and his name is Alan Doyle. And he's a Newfoundlander and bless Newfoundlanders. They are (laughs) the best kind, as they say there, meaning the best kind of people. And he came in saying he didn't know how to write, brilliant songwriter. And he would deliver, we would talk and talk about the chapters and what we would want to see there. And he would deliver to me a haiku. You know, it'd be 60 (laughs) words. And I'm like, what am I supposed to, this is not a chapter. (laughs) But of course, a songwriter is going to deliver songs. And then through this process of getting him to expand and understand the needs of what a chapter is within a memoir, he came to be able to write the book himself in such beautiful prose and doing such justice to the Newfoundland zeitgeist, which is its own peculiar and beautiful creature. And that is a book I'm so proud of because I didn't write it. I came in with a certain, you know, set of parameters that I expected I was going to, you know, fulfill. And I didn't have to because he was such a good storyteller that he could learn the mechanics of an entirely different genre. That is so amazing. Yeah, it was cool. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Cool. Tell me what you're excited about that isn't what you're working on now. Like when you're just like getting out of work, getting out of literature, I know this is what you're good at and that's wonderful. But like, let's say you're just like, okay, I'm promoting my book. I'm dealing with all my authors. I just need a break. Like, what do you go do? What do you do? Okay. So this is going to make sense to you, I think. Okay. I go to something that has no words where I cannot use that skill at all. I dance. Ooh, I love that. (laughs) And I dance because it is a language and I love language, but I I cannot use my mouth. I cannot use words. I cannot form sentences. It's a language of the body that is a different spiritual animal, but very related, I think, to communication. And so I'm a salsa dancer. I love Latin music particularly. And I feel when I'm dancing that I can fly. I feel like there's no gravity that holds me down. I have a freedom and a Zen sort of feeling in my head of openness and space and freedom. That is so cool. That's what I do. It's the counterbalance to all that scrutiny that we do as writers on the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You made me just want to get up and dance, by the way. Let's do it. Let's do Let's it. put on some music. All right. <laughs> really surprise <laughs> yeah. people here. Yeah, really. What happened in, <laughs> what happened in your podcast with Nita Pre- Well, you're not going to believe this, but we ended up salsa <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Readers, you just never know what's going to happen with you. You never baby. know. You just never know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when you were like, when you were a little kid, did you know this is what you were going to do with your life? You know, I knew in that weird way that you know when you don't know. When you can't really do anything else, life sort of leads you there. You know, I tried math. That was a disaster. Never do that again. Come on. I can barely add and subtract. So I think I did know it was a matter of figuring out where that would land exactly. Journalism, law, Mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. But I always wrote and I loved to write. It's just I couldn't name. I never was one of those kids who could say, I'm going to be a writer one day. No, it wasn't that. It's I would have said, I like writing and I like words. You know, so that discovery came later. And I'm not a youngin, right? I, you know, finished my debut novel at the tender age of 49. 50, I think, whatever, something like that. So, you know, I came to it later, but it it has it has always been there. 
That's amazing. I know I keep, I have this novel coming out and I'm like, well, it took me till I was 47. <laughs> yeah, like, and I look at all these 25 year olds and I'm like, oh my gosh. I know. I have a deep <laughs> envy. Uh, yeah. They put us through such cruelty when they're 23 years old and they write a brilliant novel. Like, yeah. How did you do that? that I, 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 I did not have the wherewithal or the wisdom to be able to put anything on a page that anyone would want to read. So I'm always very impressed with with young people who have that ability. Me too. I feel like I need to start my recruiting early because I do feel like you can tell by, I don't know, fourth grade maybe, who wants to be a writer or who has that itch in them, you know? Yes. It's early. I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. So if you see me scouting out, you know, fourth, fourth graders, you'll know why. Would you like to write a book for me in like 15, 20 years? Okay, good. Here's my card. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when you're so busy writing and editing, do you, do you ever read just something that's not, do you read for pleasure as well? Things that are not on the list of things you have to read? I do. You know, these days, I must say, it's it's really a lot of manuscripts and it's really only on holidays that I can you know, do that. Oh, I'm going to go to the airport store and Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy three novels. I don't know what they'll be. And this (laughs) is going to be so delicious because I don't have to, I don't have to read them. I want to read them. And that is, you know, that is a rare privilege for an editor writer because so often we have the the deluge of manuscripts on the one hand and the deluge of early um, copies on the other. But I must say, I do love being an early reader. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I love getting a galley and, and being oh, one of the first readers. A hundred percent. It's so exciting. Really exciting. I know I have all these stacks of books, you know, by month and like then books I read. And then I have this little stack over here and it's like books I just want to read. You know, like they're not coming on my podcast. Maybe they're not even alive. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just like, I just want to read these ones, but I don't know when I'll ever get to them. But I, I have it yes. aspirationally there. So Yes. And it, that feels good to leave that space open for the possibility of picking up something. <laughs> Yeah, that does not work. Did you do research into hotel life and all of that to get such a great sense of the vibe, the characters? Were there specific hotels you had in mind? Yeah. Okay. So the first part, did I do research? Yes. I guess I've done research for quite some time. So the first research that, again, I didn't think about it until I was asked that question along the way with the maid. But many years ago, I did a book as an editor with a butler. And he was a butler to many, many famous people, Oprah, Jackie O, just an incredible roster of of people. And he, you know, taught me all about that world that is Downton Abbey-esque on the one hand, but kind of modernized in another. It's one of the few places, a hotel, where we can still have that hierarchy and feel, quote unquote, comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not so comfortable anymore in contemporary society with those very obvious stratified hierarchies. So that sort of somehow lodged in my brain. And I certainly came to use a lot of what I learned about hotels from him. So yeah, your second question about that, were there certain hotels in particular? Uh, my favorite thing is when readers decide what the hotel is. <laughs> So very often I'll have readers come up to me and say, I know what hotel that is. You know, that's the Baglioni in London. And I say, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then someone will say, oh, yeah, that's the Waldorf Astoria in in the U.S. I'm like, sure. Yes, it is. 
And I absolutely love it. It is one of the weirdest compliments to me because my goal is to have the reader participate, to just draw in the faintest lines of what a luxury hotel might be like, a boutique hotel, and for them to complete that with their imaginations. And so I love it when they do that. But as for what hotels really inspired me, there were a few. There was, you know, one in Toronto, one in the UK, and one in the US that sort of merged in my mind. But maybe the most important one is um, the King Edward Hotel in Toronto, because I work at Simon & Schuster now, but um, for years I worked at Penguin Random House. And down the street was the King Edward Hotel. So every day that I went to work, I crossed by that hotel with its red carpeted steps and its portly doorman who stands in his podium with his cap and his great coat and his crests. And I walked by him every day, five days a week, and he would tip his cap at me and I would, you know, nod at him. I never met him. We never spoke. We never had a conversation, but somehow I felt like he was watching over me. And I saw him do things. I saw him, you know, deal with drunk rock stars and be abused by very wealthy people and all kinds of horrors. This man endured with so much grace and dignity that he gave to that hotel. And somehow this man who was a complete stranger felt almost like a grandfather to me. This Mm -hmm. man I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And in that weird way that things find their way into books that are truths and untruths at the very same time, Mr. Preston was born into both a maid and the mystery guest via that ephemeral daily contact with a total stranger. Does he still work at the hotel? I haven't seen him in years. So I I switched publishing houses and I never, I didn't walk by there anymore. And I have not seen that man in a long time. I think he's been replaced by youngins now. Oh, maybe you should march over some copies and uh, try to track it down. down. FYI, you're the inspiration for this massive best-selling book, Man Who Never Spoke to Me, just so you know. This is your claim to fame and you don't even know it. And then he, you know, demands royalties and (laughs) to be maybe not the greatest guy. (laughs) Next thing you know, he's like living in the penthouse suite at the hotel and all is well. And turning into Mr. Black. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Will there be more made novels? An excellent question. And I think I can answer that the same way I did after the maid. (laughs) Only if I can give readers more instead of less. I know readers want more. And I have to figure that out. I have to find a new landscape and territory that will satisfy. And for me, that's always about a mix of genres. You know, there's mystery on the front, but what what's on the back? I love to Frankenstein two genres together. So I'm thinking about that. I am indeed thinking about that. And if there might be a dramatic third closure book, but we shall see. Only if I can figure it out, Zippy. I have utter faith in you that you will figure it out. And I'm looking forward to seeing what all the other colors in the set will be. (laughs) I feel like you should just keep going. Why limit it to three? Just like keep it going. Agatha Christie. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. (laughs) Life is short. (laughs) Keep going. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I do. And I find it's advice people don't want, but I'll give it anyway. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) It's read. My biggest advice is read. Read voraciously and omnivorously. Read not only for your own pleasure and entertainment, but read to dissect how writing works. 
read the scenes that moved you and that made you forget who you were and where you were when you read them and try to understand how the writers did that because there is so much magic in that ability and you can learn from it. You really can. Read voraciously and omnivorously. I mean, come on, if that's not a writer thing to say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Nita, thank you so much. Congratulations on the mystery guest. Good luck with the publication and I will be rooting for you. Oh, thank you so much, Zibby. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 